tonight, um, I'm going to try to get through this. I hope I can make sense of it. If I don't, then I'll just apologize in advance, okay? <clears throat> Have you ever encountered an area in your life where you, you seems like you've been tempted, you've been tried, you've many times that you've thought it's the devil, he's trying to get me, you've thought this in your mind, I need deliverance. This area may be the very area that God is trying to break you through and break you out of. By God allowing the enemy to root around in this area, this constant temptation, this constant harassment, so that he can, you can actually overthrow the enemy. This may be the very season for victory in this area of the flesh. Tonight, I'm going to borrow a title from Perry Stone. He used this not too long ago. It's not the devil. It's you. Somebody said not too long ago, I was frustrated, I was praying, and I, I was casting all this stuff out, and then I realized I was casting myself out. It was my own, my own flesh that I was dealing with. I guarantee I'm going to offend you tonight. See, Jesus delivered people, but in the Sermon on the Mount, He talked more about what we would need to be disciplined in our lives. Cutting off our hand if it offended us. By plucking out our eye if it would cause us to sin. See, we blame the enemies for, for many things in our lives. Yes, he is the author of the flesh, but our thoughts, the inherent nature, these are the things that he has he is instructed, but I believe at times we give him way too much credit. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He can only be at one place at one time. Did you know that? See, the enemy gives us his thoughts, he shares his heart with us, and then we either come into agreement or we reject it. When we come into agreement, we've opened the door for sin and the path to destruction. I believe at times, this is the enemy's very tactic that he uses. He uses this very tactic to make us blame him for everything instead of blaming, putting the blame exactly where it belongs. In Genesis chapter 32, 24, it says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now I want you to think about this. Many commentators, many theologians believe that this was Jesus pre-incarnate. Okay? Are you trying to tell me that Jesus couldn't overpower this man? Or for that matter, let's say it's an angel of the Lord. You're going to tell me that the angel of the Lord could not overpower this man, Jacob? He was not Samson. He was no mighty, mighty warrior or anything like that. This was Jacob. He wrestled with him, the Bible says, till daybreak. And why, why was he not over, able to overpower him? It was because of his will. There is an area of, of, that God submits himself he submits himself to the will of man. You can choose. He allows us to make the determination. The final authority on whether we will go to heaven or hell lies with us. I will tell you tonight, it is not with the devil. It is with you. And it's the same thing here with Jacob. Jacob wrestled with this, this angel of the Lord. And, and because his will was overpowering him, he actually had to give in.
If the Bible says that Jacob wrestled with the angel, he couldn't overcome him. And then he, he's, it was at this point when he said, the angel of the Lord said, what's your name? Jacob. Now, I want you to realize this. Jacob had called himself Esau years before to get the birthright. He didn't accept who he really was. He was a schemer. He was a deceiver. And here in the midst of this, I'm going to turn on the light, guys. So we can all see a little bit better. But when he admitted who he was, he was taking responsibility for himself. This is who I am. Jacob was saying, I'm the schemer. This is who I am. This is who I am. And sometimes, you know what? That's the very thing that we, we, we blame the devil for all this stuff. When, when God said, listen, what I want you to do is not blame him. Take responsibility. This is who you are. This is who I am. This is my flaws. And not be content with them. I had one person not talking. Well, that's just the, that was just my, that's the, my, that was how I was raised. It's inbred in me. That's just who I am. No. That's, those are things that we want to wrestle out. Those are, that's what exactly what, what, what Jacob was dealing with here. More times than not, it isn't deliverance we need, but a wrestling out of the flesh that has ravaged us. The flesh is in me. The flesh is myself. It's time to admit it that it's me. Yes, God, it's me who needs a transformation. It's me who needs to acknowledge who I am. And when I do that, God can do something with me. I, tonight I got four little quick things. This is, I, I'm just exhorting you briefly tonight. Um, Tina, can I share something? Okay. Tina came to me before the service. <laughs> this little lady over here, we brought her in how many months ago? It's Ashley, two months ago. Very timid. She told me tonight that she was on 20 psychotropic medic medications to keep her balanced out. Now, she hasn't went through deliverance. She simply just allowed the Lord to continue to transform her. She told me tonight, she goes, I'm down to what, three? Three medications. She simply said, listen, I see what I want. I see who I want to be. And then begin to take possession of that. So they know, I don't need all this stuff. See, and we told her tonight, Connie said, he goes, we prayed you in here. You're not here by accident. We prayed that the Lord would lead us and, and be able to bring the right people into Sequoia Dawn. You are God's chosen person. I want you to know that tonight. God has chosen you. And when she was... When she was standing there talking to Connie and I, you could just see this brilliance about her that was something that we, that Ashley and I know we didn't see that first day. There was, she wouldn't even look at us in the eye. And there's something about her. There's a glow about her. I'm telling you that when, when we take hold, we, we can wrestle these things out. We got to get to the point where we realize it's not just the devil doing all this stuff. We give him way too much credit. Remember what I said? He is not omnipresent. He cannot be... Now, he has minions. I'll give you that. He's got minions. But you know what? He, he, there's way too many things we, 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 we say, oh, that's the devil. Oh, that's the devil. You know, a lot of times, it isn't. It's our own imagination, for one. And then number two, there are times. 
spiritually speaking, I mean, and, and, and I'm going to tell you, you know, I, Nancy's book, she's been talking about this spiritual battle that's going on. So we do need to understand that there is a spiritual realm, but don't give it so much credit and credence that all of a sudden we actually have empowered the devil. He's, we make him more powerful than he really is. We give him more credit than he's even deserved. He's sitting back going, thank you, please bring it on, bring it on. I've told, I said tonight, I've got four things I want to share with you. It's called my A-list. The A-list. The A-list, number one, is assumptions. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, have one of a, you've won a friend. Jacob, in his life, he was always deceiving people. And when you're a deceiver or when you walk in this scheming place, you begin to believe that everybody else is also scheming. So when Esau was getting ready to meet him, he's already got in his mind, Esau's Esau's coming out, he's got 400 men, he's coming to kill me. In his mind, he had already made the assumption. Esau's heart was already changed. God had already done a work in Esau. But our assumptions many times, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is not, this is, this is the, again, he's talking about, we don't need deliverance. What we need to do is take captive these thoughts, these imaginations that will run wild, the pretenses that get in front of us and that just bring it, ravage our lives. The enemy would love for us to continually walk in assumption, continually walk in offense, upset what we think about somebody's, that somebody thinks about us. I will tell you right now, you will do more damage in your life when you think somebody is thinking a certain thing about you, and you know what? They might not even be... You, actually, it's kind of a selfish thing, because a lot of times, they aren't even giving you the time of day, but you're thinking they're thinking about you. And it's a selfish motive even in that. Well, they've got all these thoughts about me. No, actually, I wasn't even thinking about you. I didn't, you weren't even on my mind. I don't know how many people in church come up. Yeah, I could tell, you know what, you, when you preached that message, you were trying to speak. No, I wasn't. It was for me. I had no idea who was going. But you know what? Ashley said it not too long ago. She says, that's just the Spirit of God. He, you think he's preaching exactly to you because the Holy Spirit's saying, this is you. Okay? I'm sorry. I apologize for what he's going to say to you tonight. He's probably already pointing it out. You're probably already offended, but I can't. I'm already apologizing in advance for that. Assumptions. Uh, I'm going to give you an example. Of, of, of one of the guys in our church, one of the leadership at, at Pleasant Valley, he had called, we were talking one night, and just in passing, he said, he said this to me. He goes, well, I know, Greg, there's going to come a time when we're going to butt heads. And... He was saying it very flippantly, but I took it very seriously. I'm like, no, I don't. I, I was like, no, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that to happen. I, I don't want that, you know. And, and I got off the phone and I was frustrated and I was, I was just roundabouting myself. And so I called him back and I said, listen, I said, I need to ask you about this. I said, you know what? He goes, oh, no, I just, just that was just, I'm saying that it probably could happen. And I'm thinking, is he already thinking it's going to happen. You know, I mean, he's already got it in his mind. So when, we, when, I, when I went back and I cleared that assumption up, guess what? There was a freedom in that 
There was a freedom in that because I went and took care of business right there. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Listen, if there's something going on, go clear it up. Don't sit there and think about it, mow it over and get it all frustrated in your mind. Go talk to them. Hey, how's it going? What's happening? Are you you for me or are you against me? And you'll be surprised that that will just, a lot of, I bet 90% of the time, it falls off and you're like, oh, no, neither of you were even on the same page. Your minds are going someplace different. Number two, second A list, is associations. First Corinthians 15.33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. This word corrupts, I'm going to give it to you here in the Greek. It means basically to deteriorate, to cause or experience moral deterioration. It move, the very last part, I like moving down from a higher level of quality or status to a lower form. When we do this, this is what we. This is how we do. Proverbs says it like this: twenty two, twenty four. Do not make friends with a hot tempered person. Do not even associate with anyone who's easily angered. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Number three is attitude. Attitude in Philippians two five. It says you must have the same. Attitude, this is the New Living Translation, as Christ had. The NIV says that in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. A quick word study of this word attitude it means to think, to judge, to direct my mind, to seek, to observe, to care for. So what he's saying is, in all these areas, I must have the same like mind of Christ. And many times we proclaim we do, but we don't. I remember some of you, not too long, I was walking up on the hill and I was talking to them and they said, you know, uh, the, the, the mind of Christ, I have the mind of Christ. And, and, and I said, do we really have the mind of Christ? And he, and he said, well, yeah. I said, okay, let me give you some examples. Does this person have the mind of Christ? Well, no. I said, well, does this have a person have the mind of Christ? Well, no. I said, so do we have the mind of Christ or, or is it just something we're saying to make ourselves feel good? It has to be where it actually transforms us, where our mind becomes His. Where His thoughts, as He imparts them into us, become our thoughts. Not in alignment with the enemy, but with, in alignment with Christ. Now this last thing, I'm going to give you here, this is, this is, this is a little more depthy, and I'm going to try to get this out, and Mark, when I'm done, you'll let me know if I screwed this up, okay? This Greek word, where he says to have the same attitude has to do with has to do with an idea of of an inner perspective. Um, this last line, Thayer says it like this. He says, "This idea is to, difficult to translate into English because it combines the visceral and the cognitive aspects of thinking." Now, I had to go look these words up. All right, now. So to help you guys out, I'm going to help you guys out. Visceral. Um, hang on a second. I think my notes are getting messed up here. Visceral. Um, one more. There we go. Characterize or proceeding from an instinct rather than intellect. It's not something you can just put in your mind like a, um, an intellectual thought. It actually has to do with deep inward feelings rather than the intellect. The actual part of this word, the, um, the, the phreneo, actually means like the diaphragm or the midriff in this, the parts of the inner heart. Okay, so 
Hang with me, I'm going to probably lose you guys here, but I'm, I'm trying to, there's a point I'm trying to get here, is that it's not just head knowledge. It's not just something you can repeat and you think it's going to happen. This, this attitude change has to come from, from a depthy part of us. Now the other word is the word cognitive, and it means a mental process acquiring knowledge through thought, experience, and its senses. That's, a part, that's as far as you really need to go. But what I want us to understand on this is this. This is a, a part of us that is, I, I put it together, this is my, my translation. It is not just taught, but it's caught. As I exercise it into my thinking discipline, and then it roots deep in my heart in obedience. This is where I'm going with it, guys. This is why I'm, this is why I'm talking about with this whole thing about deliverance. The, the idea is that God said, listen, there's a fleshly part of you that has to die. But the way that happens is it comes from inside and then it comes into alignment with, with what's going on here in your cognitive thinking. So it's, it's not just taught. like a, I can't just, just make it happen by thinking it. However, the thought process is part of it. As I meditate on it, but I catch it. And as I exercise it in my thinking, it becomes discipline. And then it roots deep in, heart, in my heart in obedience. See, that's, that's, how we be, that's how this change, this transformation happens. It doesn't have, I mean, I love it. Occasionally, you pray over somebody and supernaturally they're, you know, they don't have, but, but more than not, that same person that you prayed for, They'll go over to another area of their life and they will deal with... I've seen people delivered from drugs and all this stuff, cigarettes and all this stuff, and all of a sudden, sexual addiction just seems to still bother them. Or the opposite is true. They get delivered out of that and then they're over here in alcohol and they can't let that... So what I'm saying is is there's going to be that area of the flesh that we're going to have to deal with and and root it out. And this process is is an all-encompassing. It takes taking captive our thoughts... And then it goes down deep into our heart. Now, Mark, I probably messed that up, but if you... (laughs) The last one is this action. So my A's, I'm going to give them to you all at the end here in a minute. But the last, this last one is action. And 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The New Living Translation says it's like this. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. See, that's what I hear a lot of. Talk. But it's living God's power. See, when we've, when we've allowed His power to work in us, there's a difference that happens in our lives. And this is, Hebrews says it like this, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This word alive, we've heard this word Zoe. Remember that, okay? Zoe is, is life, okay? It is a noun, though. It is a noun. The word that alive here that they use, the word of God is alive and active. This word is, comes from that same word, but it is a verb. So, remember a noun from your kids' days, person, place, or thing. It's a thing. A verb, though, is an action word. Remember what I said at the beginning? Action. So what he's saying here is active. It produces something. There's a result. It's energized. That's what he says. The word of God is active and alive. It doesn't, it's not just a noun, it's a verb. It has action. It does something. The Word of God changes us from inside out. It's active. It's powerful. That's what I'm talking about. In the same way, because if not, what we have is James 2.7. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. 
So we need that action. So the A-list tonight, assumptions, associations, attitudes, and actions. Those, those are my A-list for you guys. As we go through this next week, practice these things. You're going to find out they're going to hit you right in the face. Right when you're in your marriage, in your home, in your relationship, in your business, with your friends. It's going to be right there. That's, this is what the Lord imparted in me. I was, I was wanting this to, um, to speak this on Sunday. And the Lord actually would not allow me to remember the four of them. And then on Monday morning, I go, okay, here they are. I know it's for you guys. It's for us tonight. The A-list. Don't let these things penetrate us. Let the Holy Spirit work in you. Let Him go deep in you. Past our minds, into our heart, into that inner inner depth, that place that surrounds the heart. That's what He's calling us to. We're going to sing this song as we get ready to close tonight. It's, oh, come to the altar. And I... I said this just the, the other day. I told Scott said to me, he goes after Sunday morning, he goes, Greg, you said something. The altar is not a place of shame. It's a place of promise. So many times when we see people come to the altar, we think, oh, what's going on in their life? What do they have going on? And realistically, this place is not about shame. This place is about promise. I think about when you go to the altar... You're taking another rock, just like they did in the Old Testament. And they stacked those rocks. They stacked those rocks and they built a promise. God on this place is where I am not going to go backwards any longer. From this place, it's a place of promise. And it's a place of promise that God gives to us, but it's also a place of promise for us to Him. That's even more important. That's why they built those monuments. So when I say this promise, God, I belong to you. I will never go back to where I've been in the past. This monument I dedicate today to say, listen, this is where I'm going to be. and This is where I'm going. Amen. Amen. Stakes.
as we come to that altar Lord we know that you meet us there God I ask tonight Lord that you would seal this word in us tonight Lord that you would make it so real so alive God that it would penetrate far beyond our intellect but God into our heart deep into our our soul God and Lord, as we wrestle that flesh out, Lord, as we, we wrestle, Lord, with the things that, that you've allowed to come into our lives so that you can, these encounters we have right here, Lord, are to remove those things. God, that you show us, you allow us to wrestle with the enemy at times so that we can remove those areas of our life. God, I pray that you would help us pluck them out, pull them out, drag them out by their roots, God, that they would not be able to stay. They would not have a home in us. God, that the character of Jesus Christ, the same attitude that Jesus had, would be our attitude, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, God. <laughs> 